0: Happy New Year. Welcome to the Symposium. Today we're joined by Bo and we're going to talk about a very special topic. We're going to talk about the ancient tragedy by Sophocles called Antigone. Now we did Oedipus Rex on Symposium 44 and I saw on the com- comments, I think uh, Texas Galt told us to do Antigone mm. and it was sort of the natural progress. We w- mm. I think we would do it if it went well and I think it did well. And uh, I must say, I really enjoy this tragedy. Tragedy. Yeah, I mean, it's a classic, isn't it?
1: It's an absolute yeah. classic. I think of the three Theban plays, Oedipus Rex and Antigone are, are like clearly the, the best two. Um, Oedipus Colonus or Oedipus Colonus* is uh, sort of fairly clearly the weakest of the three. Um, yeah, Antigone, I think, I might be wrong about this, but I think Antigone's had a bit of a renaissance in the second half of the 20th century, a so, little yeah. bit, yes. because Antigone is like, not a girl boss, but she's a very, very strong female figure, yes. and so ever since the 60s onwards, boomers love it, don't they? Yes, I think well-read boomer women love Antigone. And so yes. it gets put on sometimes, doesn't it? It's it put on. What is really, but it's di- a, but it's. A, I don't. To, that, I don't mean that disparagingly. It is yeah. a great story. It's a. It's a timeless sort of story, isn't it?
0: What I it's really great. like about it is that I think it destroys the narrative that the ancient Western civilization was entirely misogynistic, that right, contemporary yeah. feminists try to uh, ram everyone with, mm. and it just doesn't seem to be the case. Oh, right. Sophocles clearly, if he's a partial to someone, he's partial to Antigone in this case. Yeah. He's definitely not partial to Creon. No, and these exactly. are the two main characters whose uh, viewpoints clash.
1: Right. So one thing I suppose we need to mention or to talk about the, the context of it, of the yes. three Theban plays. Yes. Um, there's sort of a chronology through, through the three plays. Yeah. But they weren't written in that order, right? So the events of Antigone come last, right? Is that right? Yes, they do. But it was written first, is that right?
0: I think it was staged around 441 BC. Right. And it was received very positively. And many people say that Sophocles was a general. And I think it was voted a general, I think, in 441, somewhere there and along with Pericles and some other Athenian generals were uh, entrusted with putting down the revolt of the Samians, I think, people from Samos. And a lot of people say that um, Sophocles' reputation was kind of based on that play.
1: Mm. But what we need to say is that... He became very famous in his own lifetime. Yes,
0: I think he wrote somewhere around 120 plays and only a very few we know of very few of them mm, and i think mm. only seven survive well, something like, like right, that well. something like that now what is interesting to note is that he is not creating it out of thin air he is not creating that story out of nowhere he is taking it from ancient mythology mm. and there was a a theban chapter let's say in ancient mythology i think the legendary king of thebes was and founder was cadmus but that was that, that's a that would take us to a tangent and um, there is the, th- the myth of Oedipus mm. and people who watched the play already knew the myth mm-hmm. and Antigone was the daughter of Oedipus, one of his two daughters. So what happened was that Oedipus, you can definitely freshen your memory or check Symposium 44 for Oedipus Rex, but Oedipus was a tragic figure. Who was king of Thebes? Who you could say, out of no fault of his own, that's debatable, but Mm. in a way, his fate was such that he ended up doing something that he tried to avoid doing. Mm. He basically slept with his mother Mm. and he he killed his father. And killed his father. So, out of his marriage with Queen Jocasta, he had four children, Etheocles, Polynices, Adigoni, and Ismene. Two boys, two girls. Two boys, two girls. Now, what happened was that the two boys, after, after Oedipus left uh, Thebes, when he realized what he did and he blinded himself and his uh, mother and wife um, strangled herself, mm-hmm. he sort of roamed in the wilderness and left. And Antigone was with him all along. And especially in Oedipus at Colonus, that chronologically is in the middle, Antigone is always at the side of her father. And uh, she supports him until his very end, which is at Colonus. But the two brothers were having a row, were having sort of a quarrel for, the, for who was going to be king of Thebes. Eteocles was uh, the person who sided with the Thebans and Creon at the time. And Polynykis was siding with those in Argos. And what happened was that there was a large battle with, uh, I think, seven generals from each side. Polynykis was coming uh, with uh, the armies of Argos to lay siege to Thebes. And uh, Eteocles was um, leading the Thebans against And So there's an element of civil Theban civil
1: war there. Yes. Some people say, oh, it's Argos versus Thebes, but it's sort of actually more like a Theban civil war. Yes. Or a war between these two brothers in some level. Yes. Because it's also Oedipus' brother, Creon, that we have to mention straight away.
0: And we also have to mention that this was very frequent in ancient uh, Greece. That was essentially uh, the home of various city-states. And within each city-state, there were, you could say, factions. That were partial to other city-states. So for instance, you, you could say that in Athens, there was frequently uh, a contingent of Athenians that were really fond of Sparta, and they were some, in some cases, siding with Spartans against other Athenians, because they wanted to establish a kind of rule in Athens that resembled the Spartan rule a bit more. So this is very frequent in ancient Greece, mm. unfortunately,. Mm. <laughs> Um, so what happens was that there was a battle between these two armies, and the the two brothers killed each other. I think there is another play, essentially playing um, on that myth by Aeschylus, The Seven Against Thebes. That is, you could say chronologically after the death of Oedipus, which is the main theme of Oedipus at Colonus, and before Antigone. And I think that's why I've not Aeschylus. read that one. I must admit. Okay.
1: I've not read that one. Sorry.
0: And uh, it's, it's a very interesting one, and I think it covers these events. But mm. what happened was that the two brothers killed each other. Because most of what we're talking about
1: here isn't really in Antigone. It's mentioned yes. and things right at the beginning, yes. but it's not. Yes. You don't see all of this, really.
0: You, you don't see all of this. Antigone starts after the battle.
1: They're already dead. The two brothers are already yes. dead.
0: Yes. So that's,
1: you could and say... And they kill each other, don't they? they bo- yes. They're both dead.
0: They're both dead, and they each kill each other in battle. And, essentially, what has happened is the following. Creon is about to become king.
1: The brother of Oedipus, the uncle of these two guys.
0: I think he was the brother of Jocasta. Oh, was he? The uncle of the four children of Oedipus. He's definitely their uncle. Sorry, he was the brother of Jocasta. So he was the uncle of the four children of Oedipus. And so, essentially, Antigone has to do with the... With a clash between the uncle and a niece, we yeah. could say, yeah, yeah, as yeah. far as family relations are concerned.
1: Yeah, Antigone yeah. is King Creon's niece. Yes,
0: right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happens is that the stage stage one starts with Antigone calling his that is her sister, outside the gate of Thebes, and she tells her that we have suffered, you know, really bad fate. All sorts of bad things have happened to us. For some reason, we are sort of uh, cursed as a family. And uh, Creon is about to tell people that anyone who will bury Polynykis, or sort of rebel. sorry, I find it a bit weird. Mm-hmm. Dude,
1: I think because, it's Polynices. actually, yeah, I mean, you, uh, whatever you say is the correct
0: answer, you're Greek-speaking. I th- I'll, I'll use the, uh, the Greek, is Polynykis, but you uh, we, uh, we also call it Polynices. So for, for the audience's sake, I'll call it Polynysis. Okay. <laughs> okay. So what happens is that Antigone says that Creon is about to punish anyone who will give proper, proper burial to Polynices,
1: Who was sort of the rebel one of these two brothers. Yes. Right.
0: Because he sees him as a traitor. Yeah. And Antigone thinks that this is essentially something that she cannot bear. And this is sort of tragic and she she says that you know i, I can't bear this I, I won't do it i i will go and bury my brother and uh, she's trying to get his to help her
1: well can we pause on that for a moment of course uh, because that's sort of the the crux of the whole play in all sorts of ways the yeah. crux of the whole thing is is right there that um so you mentioned that she says that our family is cursed in some way well yeah if you think about it the original The original sin—it's not really the right expression—but the original sin of Oedipus um, attempting to avoid his fate of sleeping with his own mum and killing his father—that's sort of the original sin, the original issue, Um, and from that led not only to the deaths and the misery that's in the play. Oedipus Tyrannus, and Oedipus himself blinding himself, and by this point being dead himself. But it's, it's sort of been put, the tragedy that's been passed down through the family, that now two of his sons are dead because of it, in a way. Yes. And, uh, and the tragedy continues throughout this play, as well. Um, so, yeah, where the, the uncle, Creon, King Creon, sort of the main character, he's sort of almost more of a main character than Antigone, yes. in a way. I was saying to you just before we started, the play could be called Creon, Yes. sort of about Creon in all sorts of ways. Um, He says, as punishment for being a rebel or something.
0: Yes, or a traitor. A
1: traitor, yeah. A
0: traitor for Polynices, and a Um, rebel for Antigone.
1: So that his dead body should just be left out in the open.
0: Yes, carrion for for prey and uh, for dogs to tear.
1: Yeah, yeah. uh, and well so and the tradition was in, in um, classical Greece or earlier uh, is that you should be buried that's the correct thing your yes. bodies, bodies should be buried uh it's uh, what's it called is it excarnation when you deliberately leave a body out to be picked apart that's a much much more ancient thing actually there's still some cultures today um that they still they still practice excarnation, deliberately leaving a body out to be picked apart by. Let the animals me see and if it
0: is, because I would lie if I tell you I know. I think it's I... excarnation.
1: Um, so, yeah, deliberately to be picked apart by birds and wild beasts, and the, that's the correct thing to do. But in Greece, uh, that was a terrible crime, really.
0: A crime against the gods. I think it says here, deflashing the dead. Right. Excarnation, maybe. Yeah, to be picked apart by the, the animals and the practice of removing the flesh and organs of the dead before burial.
1: Quite often done just by the elements.
0: We c- could we call it exposure? And okay, uh, yeah, yeah. It could, yeah.
1: Either way, Antigone yeah. says, look, that's against what the gods want. Yes. Um, that's just wrong. Yes. That's morally wrong. It's all sorts, of, it's like irreligious. Yes. Um, it's against the old ways, the ancient ways. Um, now her, and she has sort of her, a, a will of of iron yes she will not give up that idea that concept even if it costs her
0: her own life and she's kind of set that she is going to die and she says that i will suffer no great such fate as a death without glory right so in a sense it for her it is not the question of whether she is going to live or die. She has already decided that she will die. And she wants to, in a sense, go, go down in flames. Yeah, it's a is glorious a correct, way to die for her. Uh, is that a correct expression? Yeah, yeah. Yes, she, she wants to die a glorious death and also to honor her brother. Hmm. Because she does seem to... There's an interesting question. So there's something pers-
1: we need to make clear. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah. King Creon has said that anyone that does bury him yes. is the death penalty for you. Yes. So, sorry, we need to make that clear. Yes, yes. Uh, so that's why she's sort of martyring herself.
0: Exactly. In a yes. way. Yes.
1: It, it's death if she insists on burying him.
0: Which is interesting because Izmini is doing the exact opposite. Hmm. Because she sort of represents, I would say, the in the beginning, the coward. Because she tells her that... I agree with you. I I don't want to disobey the laws of the gods, the divine laws. But who am I to disobey the city? In a sense, she's caught between, she represents the dilemma between the laws of the gods, the divine laws and the laws of the city. And she, in a sense, does nothing. Mm. And uh, she Mm. represents, in a sense, the, the dilemma. And we will see on the other hand, Antigone opting for the divine laws and Creon opting for the laws of the city. But interestingly, there's a clash of perspectives and this is one of the really interesting things I found, I find in the dialogue because what makes Creon's character so interesting and telling in this play is that from his perspective, he is honoring the gods. That's the issue. From Antigone's perspective, Creon is violating the laws of Zeus. Mm -hmm. From Creon's perspective, his decrees are in accordance with the the laws of Zeus. He will change his mind very late. Mm -hmm. But that is interesting because a lot of people have said that this is one way of representing it as not so much the idea of the laws of the city and the laws of of the gods. That's for Antigone. But for Korean, the tragedy is not exactly that. For Korean, the tragedy is lack of wisdom. He yeah. doesn't understand because he's proud that he, he is violating the divine laws. For his, In his mind, it's not so much that there is a clash between the divine laws and the, the laws of the city. If there is anything that would lead for that interpretation, it's something that he says towards the end to his son, which is under pressure, which does lead give some credence to the other interpretation, but there are many ways in which we can interpret their Mm, clash. mm, mm. I
1: mean, this is sort of a a primordial question that is still relevant today. Yes. I mean, not really for me, because I'm a fairly irreligious person. What are you going to do? I don't really live my life by any any religious creed. Um, but for lots of people, even today, it's a very, very real question. Yes. Uh, for for like billions of people in the world, yes. it's like if the state I live in, the laws, the actual, you know, the secular laws of the country I live in, are at odds with my religious teachings. What am I supposed to do? You know. Um,
0: I will add something here because I think that um, I, I don't find it controversial. Some people do. I don't think it is controversial. But the kind of clash that we see in Antigone between the divine law and the secular law or the law of the city state, that is essentially Creon's decree, doesn't have to be seen as a religious clash in all of its manifestations because a lot of the time you could say that a lot of the laws, there are people who are atheists, but they do have a sense of morals and that kind of clash is interpreted by them as a clash between my moral conscience and what I'm ordered to do. Mm. So it doesn't have to have a religious dimension. That is why I think the play can appeal to people who are not necessarily religious, Mm. but have a strong moral conscience. And they think that occasionally there can be a clash between the law and morality as they see it.
1: Yeah, I mean, in Antigone's case, it sort of expressly is though, isn't it? I mean, yeah. um, you know, uh, she's, well, she's not torn rather. She has, she's got no doubt in her mind whether, to, whether her first loyalty is to her sort of spiritual side or, yes. or religious side, or whether it's to uh, sort of the secular state, the, the laws of the land. Um, you know, and it can, it can break both ways, as far as I can see, is that sometimes the, 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 the law is sort of fairly clearly in the right and the religious teachings are sort of out of date or even immoral. Yeah. And it can be, and of course, it can be the other way around, yeah. where your religion is, is morally and just obviously correct and the country you live in has got some crazy law that's barbaric. But it can break both ways, right? Uh, it, it's, it's sort of not, I think the main point really in Antigone for Antigone and Creon is that she stands on her principle. That's the thing. It's not necessarily what the principle is really, but I think anyway, I think that's the more important thing. She's very lesson. steadfast and has yeah.
0: moral conviction.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's sort of the, the lesson I think that Sophocles wants to really, um, to really emphasise more than anything else, um, to the point where I'm prepared to die over it, Antigone. I'm prepared to die over this. Um, not only am I prepared to die over it, I'll be glad to. Uh, that would be a glorious death. Yes. To stand up in the face of what I, uh, I believe absolutely to be wrong. Yes. I'll happily die for that. Um, I was listening to um, uh, some Alexander Sajanits and some of the. Later Gulag archipelagos. And it's funny, I was listening to it just the other day, and it, it, there was a, one little bit that I mentioned that uh, made me think of Antigone. At one point, they're in, the, they're in the, one of the special camps for the political prisoners in, in Soviet Russia, late Stalinist era Russia, and they go on hunger strike after years and years of being treated like worse than animals in a way. They go on hunger strike and for, until they can no longer bear it. Um, but one guy, one Polish guy, um, refuses, when, when they all sort of collectively break down and all sort of shuffle off to the mess hall again and start eating food, one Polish guy just lays on his bunk yeah. and uh, just rolls over, never gets up again, refuses to be broken. His will, he will not be broken. He will die rather than give in. And Sergeant Nipson says something like, If we all act, or if the majority of us were like that, then Stalinism would never have worked. You know, that one Polish guy uh, in that gulag, it was was an Antigone. So I will will die for this.
0: I think this is Um, brilliant and it definitely touches on the play, especially on the case of Izmini, because what she does and what she tries to do is tell her sister that, don't you think that we've had enough death in the family? Let us prevent more death. And uh, let us try to see sense. You're irrational, you're passionate. Antigone gets completely pissed off, and she tells her that, I don't, I don't want you to help me, and uh, I don't want you to get any credit for what I'm about to do. And she, she storms out. She disappears. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, in a sense, the first, the opening act the opening stage. But what is really important to emphasize is something that you said, but I want to highlight, because it's really important about the character of Antigone. She's not just interested in burying Polynices with the proper rights. She's not just interested in honoring her brother in that sense. She also wants to say that. She doesn't want to hide that she did it. Because you could say that she could just go bury bury Polynices, and go back and act as if act, act as if she didn't. And uh, there would be no reason for Creon to to doubt her. He would think of other people, oh. probably. And uh, what it is important to her is that she wants to live, in a sense, sincerely. Hmm. She wants to live in Thebes as someone who did the right thing without hiding it Mm. and that's really important because it highlights to an extent that something that has been said about uh, the greek city-states and the agora in a sense that people wanted to they thought that their reputation was their pride and they wanted their acts to be in a sense public Antigone wanted to make her act public Mm. Mm. at least the way sophocles is painting it
1: yeah um, that's often the way with sort of, yes. often the way with martyrs and things like that and making a statement standing on your principles yes. um it's one thing to do it it's but you also you're proud of it or that you'd want the world yes. to know yes um it, it counts for something and it counts as a as a as an example to others um so it's there's a sort of a battle of wills between Creon who will not bend on his decree that yes. anyone that buries this man will be executed themselves and she will not bend or break in any way um and so there is something even if it's over something that you might personally think isn't a big deal like whether an individual body gets buried or not or But the point is Is that You've got a principle You've got a line in the sand um, And you will go to your grave over it Yes Um, And And you'll do it gladly Um, Because there's nothing more important I think it was um, Thomas More Sir Thomas More Who When Henry VIII Was sort of insisting That he repudiate Catholicism, in, in, a, in a sense, the, the Supremacy Act. And Thomas More, after prevaricating for a long time, eventually refused to give in and in the end went to the tower and had his head chopped off for it. Um, he said something like, uh, All I have, all I ever own is the ground I stand upon. I don't, he didn't mean physically, literally, the bit of ground he stands on. He means his principles, yeah. the things he Believes to be true and holds dear. That's the ground metaphorically he stands upon. That's all he can ever own. That's all the only thing of value that he has. Everything else is just is just nothing. It's just it can be easily lost. Yeah, it's just all your physical possessions are, are not, they're nothing really. And uh, uh, well, yeah. So Thomas More is another an- example of an Antigone, if you like, He's prepared yeah. to die. For A, a principal,
0: and he, yeah, you're correct. Yeah, um, it's not important to, for him to just do the right thing, he wanted also to say it,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned it like in that Thomas More, in his trial, was eventually sort of uh rhetorically painted into a corner, yeah, where he, he didn't really have anywhere else to go apart from just to openly admit that. No, I am Catholic. I had my first, my first uh, loyalty is to the Pope and Rome. I will never accept Henry as the head of the Church of a new type of Church. No, there's a thousand years of glorious tradition. He really went for it in the end. Yes, when yes. he was finally painted into a corner. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and you know, did it proudly. He knew what he was doing. He thought it was um, just like Antigone. Uh, though it was a matter that there's nothing more important, there could be nothing more important than standing up for and loudly proclaiming and going to your death for something that you insist is true, is, is you know. Um, now, looking back at the, the actual example in Antigone, um, uh, the question of whether her brother should be buried under the ground or not, um you know like there are other cultures that do the yeah. sort of exclamation thing so um but that was that was her line in the sand that was her line in the sand and i respect it i respect the 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 nature of that even though i personally i wouldn't but, but for me i don't care if i'm cremated buried left for the birds to pick me apart i don't particularly mind so the actual thing that she chose to. As her line in the sand doesn't is neither neither here nor there to me, but it's the it's the act, it's the thing itself, it's the principle, it's having a line in the sand which you will not cross. No one can make you cross it under any circumstances. There's something sort of noble about that, right? Uh, Even sort of transcends the word noble. There's something
0: otherworldly in a sense. Yeah,
1: it's almost it's not for human almost. Yes. Most normal people, the vast majority of people, Sojournitsyn uh, makes say. this point clear, the vast majority of people have no line in the sand. Yes. They will eventually put up with sort of endless humiliation and degradation and be exposed as having no principles at the end, at the very end of, of it all. Yes. And those that do, well, there's something sort of wonderful about that, I think.
0: So after she leaves, the, the, there's a chorus that is forming from the old citizens of Thebes. And they talk about how much Zeus hates pride. <laughs> now, that's the, in a sense, one of the major themes of the, tra- of the tragedy. How pride, in a sense, comes before the fall. No, yeah, You could say. Because Creon is being portrayed as a very proud man.
1: Far too proud, arrogant.
0: Far too proud. And the, the yeah. interesting thing with him is that he assembles the old citizens of Thebes. And we could say that this is the third scene. And he, he, enters from the pal- he enters the stage from the palace and he addresses the old citizens and he says basically, my countrymen, the ship of state is safe. The gods who rocked her after a long merciless pounding in the storms have righted her once more out of the whole city i have called you here alone your loyalty was unshakable and essentially what he is saying that he is next of kin to the dead and he now possesses the throne and all its powers so he hasn't assembled everyone he has assembled the old citizens of thebes and he is essentially telling them something that is unbelievably Potent to judge him as a character throughout the whole thing. And I think that this is very majestic on Sophocles side because in a sense the first scene where Creon enters Shows what is incredibly tragic about him and how he's really not that different from Oedipus in a way mm. because He doesn't understand that he is in a sense the the guilty one mm. Mm. so he does say things like we need to that Zeus hates the proud, but he doesn't understand that in this case it is he mm. him mm. who is proud. Mm. And what I want to say is that here it seems to me that Creon shows lack of wisdom in a way. Because there's an interesting thing. I may go in a slight tangent here, but I think that it's important to understand it because I'm very much interested in wisdom and wisdom literature. Because as a concept, it seems to me to be what Really elusive, and I'm trying to understand what wisdom is in a sense. And there was an idea that I sort of had trying to interpret things. And I think that a lot of people who talk about wisdom, they talk about wisdom as judgment, a kind of discernment of what is the right thing to do in a particular situation. That's obviously more complex than that. But I'm just saying that one of the things that is interesting is that in such cases, we are called to translate a lot of things that we know in the abstract to the concrete circumstances we find ourselves in. So, what seems to me to be interesting with Creon is that he says a lot of things in the abstract that are correct. But he cannot translate that into action. So, for instance, he seems to be very cognizant of the idea that pride destroys people. But, He cannot understand that he is proud. Hmm.
1: To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotusedis.com.